Good afternoon. It's Friday the 12th of February 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me in the studio today, Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century Wire. Welcome to the programme, Patrick. Wonderful to be with you, Mike. Um, and uh, well, we'll get straight on with uh, the lowest temperature recorded in the UK since 1995. Mike, this is a record-breaking winter. What else can we say? All records have been shattered. The, uh, the ice has been broken uh, in 2021. Uh, so overall, this looks like it's going to be, according to a lot of the uh, weather mavens, Mike, it's going to be the coldest, possibly the coldest winter on record uh, in the country and in Europe in the last 20 years. Uh, so if that does play out, Mike, that's, well, it's, it's, it's not good news for everybody. Uh, let's take a look at uh, the scenes here. Uh, this is what you uh, might have seen uh, if you've been out and about. This is around the UK uh, here, uh, one village in the Highlands, I believe, in Scotland, uh -huh. particularly cold uh, north of the border. And uh, we've seen snow even locally here as well. We'll talk about that uh, maybe later on in the program uh, in Dartmoor. But not everybody's happy about this, Mike. Not everybody's happy about this. Greta is much, much unhappy about the weather, uh, right. as is Al Gore. And hence, they're all keeping very quiet on social media not doing a lot of tweeting and things like this because obviously this is bad news. So what I could say to them is suggest that maybe they could warm things up, Mike, uh, if they maybe talk more and make some noise about climate change and that might actually bring the temperature down. Right. So uh, we could use some hot air, Al and Greta. But uh, so we, we talked about the Green New Deal, Mike, in past programs and uh, how the uh, switch to renewable energy. And sort of Boris Johnson is a trailblazer in green energy uh, for the UK. How's that going for some European countries? Well, who, who is the most green country in Europe? In fact, in the world right now, it's Germany. So let's take a look at what's happened in Germany with this record-breaking cold. So the headline <laughs> is a strong baby. It's cold outside. Germany's green energy fail rescued by guess what? coal and gas. As you can see, there's the solar panels there covered in snow, Mike, so they're not doing a lot. So, and, they, and also the wind turbines that they have, 30,000 plus wind turbines in Germany, they're just not up to the task uh, this winter. Let's take a look at this. This winter, there have been many long windless periods, and so Germany's approximately 30,000 wind turbines have been largely out of operation in a world 100% reliable. Uh, reliance, sorry, on uh, green energies, uh, this would mean that nearly 100% uh, darkness uh, at home. Yes. Uh, so, and where does it, where does it lead? Well, the, the report that's cited in this article acknowledges that all the power is currently, currently coming from mainly coal uh, and power plants in uh, uh, Lausitz and are now running at full capacity. So, the green revolution in Germany has been bailed out by coal yes, and also natural gas. So this doesn't uh, bode well for maybe U.S. plans to scarper the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline from Russia. I mean, it, 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 the numbers don't add up with, with renewables, and I think we're really seeing it uh, play out in real time this winter. It's quite fascinating. Yep, and uh, well, we'll see how that goes over the next few years, but uh, I think uh, we might be entering a little bit of a cooler phase at the moment, so. A, sol a grand solar minimum. That some people are saying that for sure. And that's yes. not good news for, for these renewable grids, Mike, yes. not at all. This is true, and uh, you know, the UK, of course, uh, uh, absolutely heading in this direction with offshore wind turbines. This is gonna be very good for the royal family because of course, 
the Crown Estates own all the coastline and uh, the water out to, or the, 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 the sea bottom out to a certain distance, uh, which means that because the uh, royal family, not the, any institution, but the royal family themselves get 25% of the, uh, the, the uh, uh, licensing fees for this, oh, okay. uh, they are looking at something along the lines, I believe, of somewhere around £300 million pounds this year uh, as their part of the, of the licensing for the building of, of the upcoming uh, uh, offshore wind turbines. So the, the Royal family doing very well out of it. It's hardly surprising under those circumstances. We've got Prince Charles and Prince William at, on point uh, pushing forward with this new green deal. They've, there's no vested interest, no conflict of interest in that whatsoever. That's interesting. And we also see Prince Charles gallivanting at Davos alongside uh, Herr Schwab. Uh, as well, uh, yes. shilling for the Great Reset. So Prince Charles and the royal family have nothing to gain, nothing from, to gain at all from this green revolution, do they? Indeed. Um, now let's uh, come back on to, to vaccines and and COVID. Uh, and well, the government has updated, or at least the MHRA has updated the uh, vaccine analysis for the Pfizer BioNTech. Uh, I'm sure they've updated the others, but I want to focus on this one. Uh, so this is all UK spontaneous adverse reaction reports received between the 9th to the 12th, uh, 2020, and the 31st to the 1st, 2021. And the first thing to note, if you're watching the program on Monday, I believe it was, we were making the point that uh, their multi-million pound AI system wasn't able to generate a report that added up, um, and particularly with respect to deaths. Uh, this report, it does add up now, so I think whoever it was generated the first one uh, has uh, fixed that. They're now saying that the uh, under the death and sudden death headline, uh, clinical death, one of which one was fatal. Uh, death, now 66. Um, and, and we had 66 fatalities from that. So so they finally got that line to uh, to add up, uh, although they've, they failed previously, as we mentioned. Uh, and then sudden death, they're now saying nine uh, sudden deaths as a result of the vaccine. Uh, and that resulted in nine fatalities. Uh, but other things going on, spontaneous abortions. Uh, I was a bit surprised about this one because there were five uh, spontaneous abortions as a result of the vaccine, according to this adverse reaction report. But that resulted in zero fatalities, uh, Patrick. Uh, so apparently, uh, you know, fetuses don't count uh, when it comes to the effects of the, uh, the vaccine. I understand what they're saying here. In fairness, they're saying that the, that the the person who received the vaccine, that person didn't die as a result. But nonetheless, there must be some way uh, to acknowledge the fact that, uh, you know, there was a spontaneous uh, abortion and a life was lost. I'd be very interested to get more information about that particular statistic, Mike, to find out because, uh, you know, are there people participating in these trials um, who were pregnant uh, going in uh, that... Uh, this, but of course, these aren't the trials. These are the actual live vaccinations. Oh, I appreciate the, the, that's, oh, this, that's the, the phase three trial. The phase three but, public yes, trial. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. Uh, that I mean, that alone, it's not the trial, but they still shouldn't be getting it because they're not doing that in the clinical trials, right? Uh, this is the, this is true. Yes. So that, there's some serious questions to be asked there. Yes, I think there are all there are serious questions to be asked right right through this. So that uh, brings us to a total. Reactions for the drug, 59,614. That's out of 20,319 reports. So clearly some people experience more than one reaction. Uh, and they're claiming 400, uh, sorry, 143 deaths so far. No acknowledgement of the care home fatalities at all. 
because of course those aren't being counted uh, in this uh, because under the, I mean, Patrick you've, you've got to understand that that if somebody has a comorbidity uh, but COVID-19 is mentioned on their uh, death certificate then it was COVID-19 that killed them uh, if somebody uh, has a comorbidity uh, and they have a, a vaccine and then they suddenly die uh, that was the comorbidity that killed them uh, in and that not, case. And not the vaccine. And not the vaccine. So they flipped that whole they, they have. narrative, haven't they? Isn't that convenient? Very. Um, so where does that take us? That takes us to the Daily Mail. Well, uh, a lot of talk about you know, who's going to get the vaccine after the, quote, vulnerable uh, receive their jabs, Mike, after the elderly. And here we have uh, the man himself, JVT, as he's known by Matt Hancock, Professor Jonathan Van Tam. Um, one of the health uh, uh, high priests of health there in the government, he's saying it's perfectly possible the UK will be giving coronavirus vaccines to children by the end of the year. Wow, they've uh, drifted that out quietly, haven't they? Uh, uh, these would be the children that aren't actually affected by COVID-19. Well, yes, statistically, uh, they're at a near zero risk of ever getting ill from this uh, novel coronavirus. So, Mike, this is interesting because... This question has been asked many times mm. over the last you know, 10 months or eight months or whatever, and it's always been shtum. Uh, and now all of a sudden, the talking points come out. Yes. So um, I think that's quite disturbing. Now, is it possible? And I know we'll move on to the next comments on this, but just quickly, do you think it's possible that this could become a contingency for attending school uh, in, the, in the fall of 2021? I think it's certain that that is going to be the case certain that that is going to be the case but well there are, two, there are some pretty major implications this we'll come on to in one second well the reactions to jonathan van tam's uh, comments here let's look at a couple of uh, pundits on twitter here this is neil clark uh, he's a journalist and this is what he said they want to give children the jab to make vaccine passports viable very good point made by neil clark here using the children as the hook right so that's why they want the entire population to be vaccinated and not just the most vulnerable, quote unquote. Uh, if this really was about a virus, then restrictions would be lifted after the most vulnerable were vaccinated. I think that's a pretty fair assessment of yes. the hypocrisy that's going on here. And then uh, Sean Collins, uh, he's a comedian, UK based. He was also in this documentary, Another Way, uh, with Simon Dolan. And this is what he had to say, a little bit more harsh here by uh, Sean Collins pushing back, saying children may be given vaccine by the end of year. Anyone dumb enough to give a child this vaccine should not have children. Uh, they are not at risk, and it is sinister, the desperation to give children this mRNA vaccine. Please wake up. This is sick, says Sean Collins, a comedian and also a parent uh, as well. So he's concerned, uh, as are many people, they have legitimate questions about safety, about these corporate claims of efficacy and really the experimental nature of the mRNA vaccine. Uh, well, let's just put that back up on screen for a second. They are not at risk, children are not at risk, and it is sinister, the desperation to give children this mRNA vaccine. Okay, let's, let's consider the long, potential long-term effects of this if it's rolled out to children. Uh, let me introduce you to uh, prions. Uh, now, this is an article from environment from uh, Michigan State University, environment, Environmental Health and Safety. Uh, it's called Handling Prions, Recommended Biosafety Practices for Handling Prions. Now, what are prions? Well, they, they cause disease. 
uh, neurological diseases and so on. And they're talking about uh, the handling of this being required in with biosecurity level two or three. So this isn't something that you just uh, pass around amongst people, this uh, prions. Uh, let's just look at the type of diseases that they cause. Uh, in, she in sheep, scrapie, sheep goats, and so on. Uh, transmiss transmissible mink encephalopathy in mink. Uh, bovine spongiform encephalopathy in cattle. Uh, otherwise known as? Mad cow disease. Mad cow disease. Uh, and Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease in humans, uh, which of course is a disease which uh, is apparently caused by BSE. CJD, that was a big, big scandal, wasn't it? Yes, About 15 and, years ago. and it was probably the first time most people heard the uh, term variant because of course it was new variant, uh, CJD. Um, but it's this one that I just want to highlight here, transmissible mink encephalopathy. So uh, this is related to mink. Uh, and if you remember a few weeks ago, uh, Denmark shaken by a cull of millions of mink. Mm. And I'm gonna suggest that there's a bit of plausible deniability, uh, a bit of protecting people's backs in this article because the mink story didn't seem to make sense at the time. So let's, uh, let's try to understand this. Uh, prions, uh, well, one uh, source of uh, prion disease in the body is certain proteins. And these are the two key ones here, TDP43 and FUS. Um, and uh, these can create prions in the body. Once they get into the brain, you end up with a, you can end up with Alzheimer's disease, for example. Okay, so I want to highlight this uh, scientific paper, uh, which I don't know whether it's been peer reviewed at this point, but it doesn't matter. It raises some key points. And at this point, we're asking questions. We're not making any statements. Uh, and the uh, headline of this, uh, this scientific paper is COVID-19 RNA based vaccines and the risk of prion disease. It's by uh, an, uh, an immunologist, uh, J. Bart Plasson. Uh, in the United States. Uh, and let's just have a look at a couple of things that it says. Uh, RNA-based vaccines offer special risks of inducing specific adverse events. One such potential adverse event is prion-based diseases caused by activation of intrinsic proteins to form prions. A wealth of knowledge has been published on a class of RNA binding proteins known to uh, participate in causing a number of neurological diseases, including Alzheimer's disease and ALS. TDP43 and FUS are among the best studied of these proteins. It goes on to say, published data has shown that there are several different factors that can contribute to the conversion of certain RNA binding proteins, including TDP43, FUS and related molecules to their pathologic states. Uh, these RNA binding proteins have many functions and are found bo in both the nucleus and the cytoplasm. The cytoplasm is the the, the area inside the cell, outside the, the nucleus. Um, it goes on to say these binding proteins have amino acid regions, binding motifs that bind specific RNA sequences, binding to certain RNA sequences when the proteins are in the cytoplasm is believed to cause the molecules to fold in certain ways, leading to pathologic aggregation and prion formation in the cytoplasm. Uh, and of course, uh, one of the things about the uh, Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine uh, is it's all about injecting RNA, uh, which then replicates inside the body in, in multiple places. Uh, and he is highlighting the possibility that this could create uh, a situation that gives rise to prion formation. Prion formation in the body is not good. It leads to long-term major health issues. And death. And death. Well, of course, uh, 
Creutzfeldt Jakob disease, Alzheimer's, this is the type of thing that we're looking mm. at. So if we're looking at uh, immunizing children, uh, then of course, the younger you are, the more uh, time you have on this planet for this type of uh, situation to, de to develop. And if we're talking about seeing RNA vaccines becoming an annual thing, uh, are we looking at uh, an epidemic of these types of prion related illnesses? This is what I'm asking here. I'm not stating, I'm asking. This is what the immunologist or the microbiologist is asking. For sure. So the current analysis indicates Pfizer's RNA based COVID-19 vaccine contains many of these RNA sequences that have been shown to have high affinity for TDP43 or FUS and have the potential to induce chronic degenerative neurological diseases. Another related concern is that the Pfizer vaccine uses a unique RNA nucleotide. Uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce that, but you can see it on screen. Uh, according to FDA briefing documents, this nucleoside was uh, chosen to reduce activation of the innate immune system. RNA molecules uh, containing this nucleoside will undoubtedly have altered binding. Uh, unfortunately, the effect on TDP43, FUS and other RNA binding proteins is not published. Uh, the use of this nucleoside as a, in a vaccine could potentially enhance the binding affinity of RNA sequences capable of causing TDP43 and FUS to assume toxic configurations. Uh, and it goes on to say there are many other potential side effects, uh, sorry, adverse events that can be uh, induced by the novel RNA-based vaccines against COVID-19. The vaccine produces and uh, places a novel molecule spike protein in or on the surface of host cells. This spike protein is a potential receptor for other possibly for another possibly novel infectious agent. Uh, data is not publicly available to provide information on how long the vaccine RNA is translated uh, in the vaccine recipient and how long after translation the spike protein will be present in the recipient cells. Uh, genetic diversity protects species from mass casualties uh, caused by infectious agents. One individual may be killed by a virus, while another may have no ill effects from the same virus. By placing the identical receptor, the spike protein, on cells of everyone in the population, the de genetic diversity for at least one potential receptor disappears. Everyone in the population now becomes potentially susceptible to binding with the same infectious agent. And I think that is a hugely significant paper. It needs to be looked at extremely closely uh, and some questions need to be answered of the uh, pharmaceutical companies uh, because as has been noted in th that uh, uh, document data is not available to understand the, the implications and the potential implications uh, of uh, prion development as a result of mrna vaccines and also concerns that this is very similar to concerns that were brought up by uh, uh, dr wolfgang wadarg in germany and uh, Dr. Michael Yeadon as well, uh, when they raised this issue uh, about the, um, uh, th this vaccine creating a situation where you might have an autoimmune reaction um, to uh, other things that are naturally in the body, including cells that are used to create the placenta. Uh, and, uh, and that paper also talks about autoimmune reactions. Yes. It does. I yes. mean, so the, the bottom line here, Mike, is when you talk about clinical trials for drugs, there's a reason why clinical trials takes four five, six, seven, eight, 10, 15 years, because you need time to study these reactions and in, in animals first. Uh, and then you go on to the human trials after that. And then years and years as well of observations, you have uh, double blind placebo, randomized trials, 
for humans as well. And, and, uh, and so... Uh, and we shouldn't forget, by the way, that the long-term placebo, uh, uh, the double-blind placebo in these current trials has gone because the uh, people that were on the placebo end of the trials that Pfizer and uh, AstraZeneca ran, uh, well, they've now been offered the vaccine uh, and so there can be no long, you know, there can be no long-term follow. So they've, sabot those, they've, they've sabotaged, sabotaged the trial. Yes. So you know, if if there's a serious what and what you're trying to say and what this this doc, what you're asking, Mike, and what this doctor is trying to say in his paper, if there is a serious life-threatening illness that is something that you might be at risk for as a result of receiving this vaccine or a vaccine, any vaccine, any drug, you need time in order to determine that. There's a process traditionally and professionally, and governments used to regulate these things. All of this has been thrown out the window under the guise of this is an emergency. We don't have time to wait. Uh, we can't wait to do trials. Mm -hmm. uh, not only that, they're giving them legal uh, uh, indemnity. Mm -hmm. uh, so they have no liability with if anything goes wrong. There's no legal recourse uh, for anybody So in the public. So they're running the third phase or the, really the second and third phase, they're running in the public on this mm. for, for a first-time experimental technology that is effectively, according to some experts, it qualifies as gene therapy, uh, the mRNA vaccine. So this is just being thrust on the public. Mm. This is m hugely dangerous on so many different levels. This is, the, this is a scandal of epic proportions that we really have never confronted before I think in, in modern times. Yes, and of course, it's not just the potential health effects. It's also the uh, changing relationship between us as individuals and the state and the uh, liberty implications of this. So let's look at what uh, Tobias Elwood, 77 Brigade, member of the parliament, uh, was tweeting out this morning. He said, I support the introduction of vaccine passports. Of course, if there were no vaccines, we wouldn't need a vaccine passport. If we weren't if people weren't believing in this COVID uh, narrative, then we wouldn't need vaccine passports. But anyway, he supports the introduction. Uh, he uh, is internationally, sorry, an internationally, that typo is his, by the way, an internationally uh, recognized system will expedite travel movement and help our economy. Travel should still be possible without, but should require current testing and quarantine measures. We must adapt to these extraordinary times. So uh, Elwood, 77 Brigade, Member of Parliament, uh, claiming that uh, if you don't get the vaccine, your liberty should be extremely curtailed uh, and you should be stuck under this lockdown uh, testing and quarantine regime until such times as you cave in and take the vaccine. Or you have to pay for your hotel, as the government's saying, what, for what, 11 days? Yes. Uh, 1,200, 1,400 uh, pounds? Yes. Unbelievable. Uh, so uh, following that, well, he was linking to this article in the mail, uh, powerful COVID-0 cabinet committee uh, is set to consider plans for vaccine passports tomorrow. That, that would be today uh, amid, amid hopes they would save summer holidays. So again, the summer, summer holidays are being held out uh, as well. If you want a holiday, you got to have the vaccine. If you don't have a vaccine, you can't have a passport. You can't go on holiday. So it's kind of uh, people are being bullied uh, into this. Uh, so what's the mail saying? The critical COVID-0 cabinet subcommittee is expected to look at proposals for assembling a system uh, that could loosen restrictions on international travel. However, they're not expected 
uh, to be any final decisions and no date has been mooted for when the arrangements might come into force. So really what this is about is getting uh, the public used to the idea that it's coming down the pipe uh, and perhaps to drive demand uh, for the vaccine at the moment. Um, uh, well, Boris Johnson saying here that, Mike, you, you, you need two jabs, two COVID jabs, and, and you then allowed allowed, to, allowed go on, to go on holiday. To go on holiday. This is preposterous. Well, it, it gets better um, because here is uh, George Osborne, former Chancellor, Chancellor of the Exchequer, of course. Uh, his headline in the Evening Standard uh, was to lead a normal life. You'll need a COVID passport. Here's why. Uh, and he said, there's no law that says you have to have a passport. You just need one if you want to travel abroad uh, in to most countries. And uh, that's why only three quarters of British people have one. In America, it's less than half. But what if you needed a passport to tra travel around your own country? What if you needed one to apply for a job, to send your child to school, or even go to a restaurant or a cinema? He's asking these questions, but he's actually promoting this as, as the future that we face. Yeah. Uh, by the end of this year, showing your passport physically or in electronic form as you go about your daily business is exactly what many developed countries are going to require, except the passports in question won't be evidence of your citizenship. They'll instead confirm that you've been inoculated against coronavirus. The only question is whether governments will issue them or the private sector will. Uh, yesterday, the impressive vaccines minister impressive vaccines minister uh, Nadim Zahawi uh, said the British government had no plans to issue vaccine passports. That's only true in a narrow yes minister sense. Uh, there may be no plans, but a lot, a lot of planning is taking place. And of course, that's what the Daily Mail article was saying. So let's uh, look at what else he said here. Uh, there's another reason why government is nervous to talk of COVID passports. passports. It smacks of state compulsion. Uh, he said, when, for now, voluntary take-up is working well here, that's because the British public's willingness to be vaccinated is one of the highest in the world. Is it? Well, okay, he claims it is. There are three approaches, he says. Uh, the first is to try to educate the refuseniks, uh, but otherwise leave them untroubled. The problem is that this endangers not just their health, but everyone else's. By leaving a fifth or a tenth of the population unvaccinated, we allow new strains in uh, the space to emerge, and we continue to place pressure on hospital capacity. So there's uh, the excuse. Uh, that's why, apparently, if you are unvaccinated, you're a danger to the vaccinated. Uh, nothing talked about here uh, about the possibility of new strains being created in the bodies of vaccinated people and escaping uh, their immune systems. Uh, no mention of that. Which, which is very likely to happen. If absolutely very likely to if happen. If you look at, look at the flu jab, look at the polio jab, in Africa, the most prevalent strain of polio is the vaccine-derived uh, strain of polio. That's in Africa. This is also outbreaks in India as well, in multiple countries. So, I mean, this is just a, a problem waiting to happen. What, what you're seeing here, Mike, um, and what George Osborne is uh, overriding, uh, John, the uh, vaccines minister, uh, uh, Nazim uh, Zawari. So that's Bilderberg uh, overriding uh, the cabinet minister there and so that's he, he's calling for coercion really this is massively coercive using the term refusenik okay or or you know anti-vaxxer or lockdown denier or whatever all these sort of pejorative terms these are hugely dangerous because they are designed to marginalize people who are simply asking questions mm -hmm. 
being skeptical is is not a, a privilege it is absolutely a right and and i might add that uh, being skeptical and asking questions regarding medical procedures or or drugs the administration of drugs is uh, recognized under international law as a right. Um, so let's move on with it then, because second, uh, we could make vaccination compulsory. After all, the common will means it's against the law to refuse jury service or fail to pay your taxes. Uh, or in extremists, he said, be conscripted. Uh, we also require seatbelt use and banned smoking in many spaces. So why not make it illegal to refuse a vaccine? The danger is that such a level of, there is such a level of mistrust and so rabid are the conspiracies that compulsory vaccination would push millions of people further into the margins of society just because something is illegal doesn't stop it happening. The third approach, he said, is COVID passports. Uh, whatever Whitehall decides the vaccinated public is going to demand that those around them are vaccinated too. Uh, when they go to an office, take their child to school, eat in a restaurant, go to a place of worship, watch a movie, sit on a bus or fly on a plane. If the government doesn't police this, then businesses will, he claims. Uh, and uh, uh, so, uh, oh, sorry. And so, so, so that's, that's where it is. As our real passports uh, already say on the first page, COVID passports will allow the bearer to pass freely without let or hindrance. Bring them on, he says. Even if they could be carrying uh, the vi a virus that's a vaccine-derived uh, uh, virus, Mike, and the person without the vaccine is not carrying. That's a possibility, is it not? It certainly is. Yes. It certainly is. So, so he, but here's the, here's the gaslighting that's going on. This is the last thing I'll say. This is massive gaslighting. Because the obvious question is, if the general population are not at any serious risk, statistically, of being uh, becoming ill, uh, supposedly from COVID-19, and that's by the statistics, this is by the official numbers, not just in the UK, but globally, okay? There is one specific demographic that appears to be uh, affected by this, quote, pandemic, and those are uh, elderly over the age of, really the average age of COVID deaths, we're talking about 80, 81, Okay, so it's, it's an identifiable uh, demographic, Mike. So if the, if the majority of the general population is not at risk of these uh, disease, Mike, then why would you compel them to get vaccinated? That's a question. That's never happened in history. No. It's never happened in history. So why is it happening now to what is turning out to be statistically a relatively non-lethal seasonal respiratory virus to the general population? I'm not talking about the over 80s, okay? I'm talking about the general population. So you're gonna put them into a compulsory compulsory vaccine regime? Yes. And restrict all of their rights? Yes. That's Based that's, on what threat? What is the threat assessment on the, this? There is none. It's all hyperbole and gaslighting. Absolutely. So uh, yesterday, Patrick uh, on Channel 4 News, uh, Charles Walker MP was, was on there um, and uh, they, well, I'll just read the, the couple of lines that they put on their website today to, to introduce uh, the video that they posted. Uh, the senior Conservative MP, Sir Charles Walker, has strongly criticised Matt Hancock's plan to impose 10-year prison sentences on people who try to evade quarantine rules, calling it utterly ridiculous. Uh, and he's accused the government of uh, robbing people of hope. Uh, and so that's how they introduced it. Now, I've got a, a little clip from this um, because... Uh, 
What some of the things that he said were, were really important, and we'll just we'll we'll discuss a little bit after. But just have a listen to what he said. We were told that vaccines were the way out of this. We were told when Christmas was cancelled, celebrate your Christmas at Easter, bring your family together then because the vaccines will allow that. And a lot of people have been holding on through the long winter months, looking forward to that date in Easter. And what the Secretary of State for Transport has done by telling people not even to plan their domestic summer days is to suggest unwittingly, or wittingly, I don't know, that perhaps lockdown is going to extend from the spring into the summer and beyond. And that is a terribly irresponsible thing to do, a terribly, terribly irresponsible thing to do with a very stressed out and exhausted nation. The current situation is absolutely not sustainable. It's not sustainable for people's mental health and emotional well-being. It's not sustainable for business. It is not sustainable in any way at all. The government needs to have its feet held to the fire on this. Now, I hope that Grant Shapps was speaking out of turn. I hope it was a mistake. So are you, are you saying we need to learn to live with a certain amount of death through coronavirus? Because that, that's a hard thing for you to tell Grant Shapps today, isn't it, when his dad is in hospital? Um, um, Christian, my father died at 46. Didn't expect the world to stop for me. I was very sad the world went on. If we're going to start citing our own personal situations as a reason for doing something or not, we're getting into very dangerous territory. Yes, indeed we are. Uh, now, Good point. Great point. Uh, great made. point. He made some great points during this. But, but Charles Walker... Uh, absolutely refusing to criticise the vaccine. Uh, in other parts of that discussion, absolutely promoting the vaccine. The vaccine is the great hope, uh, and so on. So a ticket to freedom. So I, I, yes, I don't agree with everything that he said by mm. any means, uh, but he's making some very important points there. Um, so it's there is opposition to this in uh, the House of Commons. It's just not vocal enough. There aren't very, very many other than him speaking out at the moment, and that needs to change. So we need to keep pressure uh, on our MPs. Now, uh, if you uh, like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, uh, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community uh, and join us there. That would be very much appreciated. Uh, do share our stuff on the platforms while we have them. Uh, that would be much appreciated as well, um, which takes us nicely into Bill Gates. Uh, and the Gates uh, empire has decided to push out its annual Gates notes, annual letter. Uh, this year, the, sorry, the year global health went local is the headline. The world has an important opportunity to turn the hard won lessons of this pandemic into a healthier, more equal future for all. Um, so they released that letter on Wednesday afternoon and uh, and then they gave uh, an interview to CBS this morning, yesterday, to Gail King. Uh, it was generally, it was pretty political, wasn't it, Patrick? First of all, uh, King, for example, said to, her, to, to Melinda Gates, uh, you've expressed some concern that the vaccine rollout has gone poorly. What happened? And of course, she put that firmly at the feet of, uh, of the Trump uh, administration. Uh, and so very politicized. Uh, she then went on, uh, King went on to ask, how did COVID-19 exploit some pre-existing conditions that we're all dealing with? Uh, and Melinda Gates said, well, those gaps in society were already there, but a lot of times we just didn't want to look at them. We, want, we uh, didn't want to look at how uh, the health centers uh, treating African-Americans 
uh, when they go to the health center? Why don't Latinos want to go to the health center? It's exposed to systemic racism that's been there all along and the inequalities for women. Uh, and she went on to say that during this year of COVID in the United States, women have lost a million or more jobs than men. That's because they hold quite often the low wage jobs. So, and so on. race, gender and Trump. Yes, that, 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 was, that was the first half of the interview. Now, the second half of the interview uh, was censorship and conspiracy theories. Uh, but let's, uh, let's listen to this, this first. You know, even Bill Gates became part of the conspiracy theories. It, it's so crazy that Bill Gates put microchips in the vaccines in order to control people. Did you hear that wackadoodle theory? I certainly heard many of those conspiracy theories. That disinformation causes more death. It causes people not to do the right thing. So that causes death, Patrick. If, if anybody uh, questions the narrative, you are causing death. Is that the case? How much death was caused by people questioning the narrative and how much death was caused by uh, the likes of Spybee and Sage deliberately putting uh, inflammatory, fear-mongering articles into the mainstream, complicit mainstream press, and then people not going to hospitals as a result to get treatment. So, so, so just, I will interrupt me, Mike. She's decrying conspiracy theories and outrageous statements, and she's coming out making a completely outrageous statement. Yes. That an internet rumor is causing people to die. I mean, this is just insane. Absolutely insane. They're not pulling her up for that, of no, course. No, of course not. Uh, let's move on. How does something like that take hold that somebody can actually believe that? If you take up one conspiracy theory on the internet, we now know these social media platforms will serve up many, many more. Mm -hmm. And so people start to go down those dark holes. Do you think that social media has a responsibility to make sure that those things are not put online? I absolutely think social media, the tech companies and platforms need to look at these issues and address them. It's time to have more government regulation over the social platforms so we don't get these conspiracy theories that cause more death. So conspiracy theories that cause more death, we've got to make sure that we uh, regulate these platforms to make sure that there's no discussion other than the government narrative. So, so there's the wife of the richest man in the world, okay, uh, calling for uh, censorship, forced censorship, uh, control of the of the public discussion. Yes, um, I mean that she's a walking conspiracy herself. Yes. Okay, but what is her qualifications, Mike? Does she have a background in in, in law, in history? Maybe she uh, maybe she studied um, the uh, the constitutional law, maybe, or what is her background? And we looked and we looked and. I couldn't find her LinkedIn profile, Mike, but <laughs> apparently uh, Melinda Gates worked in the uh, marketing department at Microsoft. Uh -huh. That's how she met Bill. And that's her experience in, in, in a marketing department for a company that had a monopoly. Yes. So I'm sure it was really challenging, the day-to-day -day operations uh, there. So that's her qualifications, Mike, for uh, calling for blanket censorship regarding vaccines. Good. Let's move on. The letter included at one point what many saw was an ominous warning. You suggest that we should prepare not by training in war games for pandemics, but playing out so-called germ games. 
What does that mean? Yes, you would do several. Do you believe there will be another pandemic? Well, there will be other emergent viruses that we've never seen as a globe. And it's up to us as a world of do we prepare so those diseases stay contained, have emergency response centers, have an early warning system. And then, yes, one thing we need to do is, is to run germ games. Those are all things we can do to be prepared so we don't have a global outbreak. So there we go, germ games. Well, uh, they've been running germ games, haven't they? Well, they have. Event 201. For example. In November of 2019. And what, what does Neil Ferguson do, Mike, at Imperial College? Well, he runs germ games on his computer. Isn't that how we got into this mess to begin with, it, it some is. people might say? It is. But nonetheless, fact-checking, uh, shutting down social media, this is the, the key point that she was making there. Uh, and so what's Reuters saying about this? So this is, I'm just giving you an example, the typical gaslighting here. Um, with all, almost all of the fact-checking, they're doing this exact same technique, okay? So this one on, on Reuters, the fact-check here is that uh, RFID microchips will not be injected with the COVID-19 vaccine. And all the, they also talk about altered video featuring Bill and Melinda Gates and Jack Mao. And you look down here, and we just highlighted a section of this, and a video that was shared 27,100 times on Facebook implies that the COVID-19 vaccine will contain a tracking microchip that will be injected into the individuals that receive the COVID-19 vaccine once it's ready. This is false. So they, they're looking at the metrics, Mike, on social media, and that's their big alarm, which yes. is how many times it was shared. There's no way to tell who actually believed that that was actually true to begin with, or whether that could be validated. So this is gaslighting. Mm. This is what the fact checkers do all the time. They take the most outrageous, ridiculous thing on social media. They blow it up on these mainstream fact checking uh, articles, and they use that to discredit any questions or any challenges to vaccines. And so uh, the second uh, round of gaslighting, Mike, is when someone like Melinda Gates goes on to a major chat show on a mainstream media network like we saw there, mm -hmm. and she then talks about, again, the microchip story. So they're gaslighting. And what they're doing is trying to basically take you away from the real story and the real conspiracy. The majority of conversations around Bill Gates and Melinda Gates is not around nanochips uh, being injected or nanoparticles being injected into the body, although DARPA and other advanced research labs are actually talking about that type that's of te thing. technology. Yeah. That's the, they're not telling you that. That's the, uh, where the, uh, the talking point and this, quote, conspiracy derives from government agencies, by the way. But that's another conversation. But this is what we'll put on screen here. This is what uh, people are actually talking about. They're talking about the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, how they're basically funding and bankrolling uh, this uh, global vaccine industry and then working through all of these various stakeholder organizations, Mike, not just the WHO, but many, many others, working with va vaccine manufacturers and through Gavi, the, the Vaccine Alliance, okay? This is a real uh, bona fide, uh, you can call it a, a conspiracy or you can call it a cartel, call it whatever you like, okay? But that is real. And so they're trying to gaslight you away from this graphic here. And there's many other uh, excellent representations of that mm. online as well. That's what they're trying to shut down in terms of censorship, okay? Yes. Not the nanochips or whatever they're talking about. Uh, but she's been banging on about this for a little bit of time. She has. So she's come out, uh, really come out of the shadows, uh, really. And uh, here's Melinda Gates. This is from September. And she says that... Uh, 
DC's social media a reckoning in the post-COVID world. She's saying that this needs to happen after the pandemic. There needs to be a reckoning. Let's just zoom in, Mike, though, and look a little bit closer here and what's going on. That image should uh, worry people. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a bit of megalomania going on in the Gates family. I think that's uh, beyond uh, argument right now, but sustainable development goals. You've got the whole world in her hands, as the old song says there, the old spiritual gospel, and there's Melinda Gates. I mean, these people, honestly, um, you know, if <laughs> they really do think that they are the uh, anointed, rightful rulers of the planet. Yes. And look at the imagery, look at the rhetoric, look at what they're involved in, okay? If this was in a fictional novel or Goldfinger, you'd be, you'd be saying, wow, that's a great plot for a Bond film, uh, that uh, the richest man in the world and his wife are basically gaming the global pharmaceutical industry and the vaccine industry and then calling for censorship for anybody that criticizes them. I mean, it would make a great plot in a it, Bond film, wouldn't it? For sure, for sure. Uh, if you want some more background, you can get some more on the uh, UK column website. Uh, this article from Vanessa Bailey, uh, who controls the British government response to COVID-19? That, that was from April last year, but even going back further, January 2012, uh, The Gates of Hell uh, by Martin Edwards, uh, one of the One World Governance series of articles on our website. Uh, we've been following this man's activities for quite some time, but it's just conspiracy theory. Patrick, just conspiracy theory. Listen to any of his interviews, Mike, and you listen to what he's saying, the, uh, the, the smirking, pulling the faces, uh, the sort of this kind of sinister grimace that he, he plays, it, it, it's, it's written all over his face. I mean, yes. this guy is, uh, unfortunately, I don't believe he's playing with a full deck. That's just my opinion. It's quite possible. Now, look, uh, what's going on with tech censorship at the moment then? Well, uh, just to carry on on this conversation, this is what uh, Melinda Gates is, is pushing here. This is what she wants to see more of this, the cancel culture. Now, just this week, let's take a look at this, canceled by... Silicon Valley. What's going on here? Facebook and Instagram, and there he is, the wonder kid himself, Mark Zuckerberg. Who's, who is he canceled this week? Let's take a look. It's been a very productive week for the cancelers. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, he is uh, Children's uh, Health Defense. He has been canceled from Facebook and Instagram, and uh, Dell Big Trees the High Wire as well, canceled from Facebook and Instagram. And the Great Barrington Declaration, Mike. Mm -hmm. uh, these are the Great Barrington Declaration is a, a, a consortium of eminent scientists from Harvard, from Stanford, from Oxford University, signed by 67,000 scientists, scientists and medical professions. They have been taken down for violating community standards on Facebook. So whoever the the the, the teenage censors are, or the college leavers in Palo Alto, they know more about uh, herd immunity, about epidemiology, apparently, than the, the scientists, the eminent scientists at the Great Barrington Declaration. Mm -hmm. And Del Bigtree has done uh, incredible investigative work. He has worked, he's, he's worked on Emmy award-winning programs as a, as a producer. He's a great journalist. And Robert F. Kennedy is, is one of the eminent environmental and medical lawyers, Mike, mm -hmm. in the United States. And they've all been canceled by social media. So, and Twitter, let's get, let Twitter get involved in the action as well. A little wiggle there from Jack. Project Veritas is an investigative uh, outfit out of New York. They've done incredible exposures over the last couple of years, especially since uh, the, the election 
and, and, and also exposing Silicon Valley executives themselves like Jack Dorsey. So canceled, 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 and canceled Project Veritas as well. Let's look at some of the inside baseball here. This is from USA Today. Facebook expanded a list of false information that it would remove, including claims that the coronavirus uh, that, that causes COVID-19 is man-made. Okay, this is going. This is a mainstream talking point because mm. uh, of the Wuhan lab in China. Uh, I personally um, am skeptical even about that narrative, or manufactured, uh, and that the vaccines are toxic, dangerous, or cause autism. Now, th that the last phrase there is is important, Mike. So yeah, because they're trying to link that to the MMR. Scandal. Or anything. I mean, to say that the vaccines are not toxic, they are. They contain toxins. They contain heavy metals. Yes, but by linking it to autism in that way, they're trying to all all that body of of sort of uh, denial narrative around uh, uh, the, the the MMR vaccine. They're trying to now attach that to to COVID vaccine as well. And there are thousands of people that have won legal judgments, Mike, uh, for injury or death from big pharma. And so to, for them to say that you can't say it's dangerous is, is, is a completely ridiculous proposition by Silicon Valley. But let's just go on to see what else they're saying here. A little wiggle from Jack. And uh, Twitter announced it would take similar measures by removing claims that vaccines intentionally cause harm or, or are unnecessary. Uh -huh. So isn't that interesting? Unnecessary. So th that's the the extent, Mike, to the censorship. I mean, they're casting a completely wide net here. And uh, just to tell you how this is being framed, look at this. This is uh, RFK Jr. here, kicked off of Instagram uh, for vaccine misinformation. You see how they frame this as well. So they've really impugned his reputation. Uh, and he's done absolutely amazing work in the courtroom uh, in, in a journalistic capacity as well as an activist. And so the mainstream media are ganging up on an iconic American mm. figure here, politically and also as an activist. Mm. And, you know, really a champion of the left as well. But he's been crossing over because of, the, because of COVID, because of lockdown, because of the vaccine issue. He's crossed over into the mainstream. And all the guns are pointed at RFK Jr. now. Mm. They're trying to discredit him. And just to move on and look at uh, how deeply uh, this particular uh, issue penetrates here, Let's take a look at this. Significant and growing public health challenge. Uh, Twitter cracks down on COVID-19 vaccine misinformation. This was before Christmas, but I thought I'd highlight it here because it's important. Let's look at what they're saying here. With coronavirus vaccine misinformation uh, spreading via social media at an alarming rate, uh, Twitter said it would remove claims that vaccines intentionally cause harm. You can see the gaslighting there, intentionally that's not what people are claiming uh, or un unnecessary as well as debunked conspiracy theories about adverse effects of vaccines. So they're, they're saying any adverse effects, that's basically game for censorship. Anybody reporting that? But so you can see how this is being constructed. I am deeply concerned because the same information and in the campaign is downplaying the severity uh, of COVID-19, downplayed a number of cases, then downplayed the, num the number of deaths is now shifting to focus on the vaccine. That's the Atlantic Council mm. and the DFR labs. And by the way, Ben Nemo from the Atlantic Council and DFR labs, he's been appointed as uh, Facebook's uh, new community oh, oh. guideline police, chief of police. So basically head of censorship 
there alongside uh, Nick Clegg mm -hmm. uh, in Palo Alto. So, this so is, he'll do the censorship, and Nick Clegg will sell the sell the censorship yeah. narrative. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, Ben Nemo will 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 say who should be deplatformed, mm -hmm. who should be canceled, because he has this list that he's compiled. Uh, while he was at the Atlantic Council, former PR man for NATO, yes, basically. So that's who's running and deciding who's allowed to talk and say what uh, on social media. So it really is rich, uh, to say the least. So let's take a look at Project Veritas here, James O'Keefe. I mean, they've done some stunning stuff in the last three months. Peeled the decision with Twitter, and he rounds this out by saying, uh, in an apparent act of retaliation for us daring to question their authority, Twitter responded to our appeal by suspending our account and continuing to tell us that Project Veritas could delete this offending tweet uh, and have our account reinstated. And of course, he's refusing, Mike, uh, to delete mm. uh, this tweet. So this is the political. This is from the political article. I think this is also interesting. Here, uh, we look at the uh, the author of this. Uh, she's her name is. Um, Anna uh, Cambiham Patty, okay, and she is the author of that uh, political article, and she's basically accusing Project Veritas of being, you know, a known uh, known to use deceptive practices and spread misinformation in attempts to expose uh, corruption, dishonesty. I mean, look at the statement. She's basically saying, uh, castigating them for doing investigative journalism, mm. and and who is she? This is a question. Who is she? She graduated from Cornell in 2018, Mike. So the main, yeah. Yeah, so she, she's got no experience at all. So is, we've seen this at the BBC. Everywhere, On yes. the Independent. So you have these student journalists who are now occupying uh, Olivia Solon, mm -hmm. there's another one, fashion shoes, online shopping, uh, journalists doing a white helmets expose mm -hmm. and basically you know, calling, for, ca calling all of us uh, Russian agents, basically. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, so, but here's, here's what it's uh, interesting here. I, I'll, I'll point this out. She's saying, to validate her argument here, in September, Stanford University and the University of Washington researchers wrote that Project Veritas' video alleging voter fraud and unidentified sources was domestic coordinated elite disinformation campaign, uh, what that looks like in the United States. So, in, again, in, if, if, the, if what they're exposing is on the wrong side of the political aisle, or if it's inconvenient to people in power, mm -hmm. it's deemed as a coordinated disinformation campaign. I mean, Veritas is, is probably one of the last old school investigative doorstepping uh, Out, outlets, yeah. outlets that's yeah. around. I mean, because it's just so difficult to do. And he, they're doing a great job of it, and they're being uh, dragged through the ringer by these people here. Here she is again. and. Uh, and then, but this is what it's really about, and this is what I'll, I'll leave this with here. Look at this. Senators Klobuchar and Baldwin, Gary Peters, all recently sent a letter to the CEOs of Twitter, Google, uh, YouTube, Facebook, emphasizing the need for clear and accurate information as coronavirus vaccines roll out. What is this, Mike? Government and big tech censorship program. Mm. They're partnering on this. This is so, so dangerous because that means that if there's a problem, if there's a legitimate problem in the history of pharmaceuticals and vaccines, there's been a lot of problems. We could give you replete with examples right back to, I don't know, 40, 50 years, maybe further, okay, and recently. 
And so if there, and there's, it's likely that there are going to be massive problems. Even the government, Mike, in the UK, uh, commissioned an AI system uh, in order to deal with uh, potential uh, responses regarding what? Vaccine injuries? Yes. Or react, adverse reactions? Yes. So even the government's anticipating problems. So what is the problem with the public uh, uh, feeling the same way? And they have good reason to because history shows that this has happened before. Mm. And it's likely to happen again. So this is why the censorship is massively dangerous. Um, well, the censorship doesn't just apply to people domestically that are countering the, uh, the government narrative. Uh, there's also a geopolitical aspect of censorship. We've seen it with Press TV from Iran. Uh, we've seen big pressure on, on Russia today. Uh, well, a, couple, a week or so ago, uh, Ofcom revoked the license to broadcast in the UK for Chinese broadcaster CGTN. Uh, they said uh, Ofcom has today withdrawn the license for CGTN to broadcast in the UK after its investigation concluded that the license is wrongfully held by Star China Media Limited. Uh, China Global Television Network is an international English language satellite news channel in the UK. Broad broadcasting laws made by Parliament state that the broadcasting licensees must have control over the licensed service, including editorial oversight over the programmes they show. In addition, under these laws, license holders cannot be controlled by political bodies. Uh, our investigation concluded that China, Star China uh, Media Limited, the license holder for CGTN service, did not have editorial responsibility for CGTN's output. Uh, in addition, we've been unable to grant an application to transfer the license to an entity called China Global Television Network Corporation. This is because crucial information was missing from the application. That's their claim. Uh, and it's controlled by a body which is ultimately controlled by the Chinese Communist Party is also their claim. So in response to that, then China uh, has banned the BBC World News. Uh, and so Dominic Rab has said this uh, today, China's decision to ban BBC World News in mainland China is an unacceptable curtailing of media freedom. And sorry, but I'm just thinking, what, a, what how hypocritical can you get? Uh, he went on to say China has some of the most severe restrictions on media and internet freedoms across the globe. Uh, and the latest, this latest step will only damage China's reputation in the eyes of the world. But Dominic, uh, Britain did it first. Uh, so it, it's, it's pathetic that... Uh, that we keep this, uh, our politicians keep presenting this moral high ground when uh, we're cutting, uh, they're cutting their own morality out from their own feet at every opportunity. Not only that, but throughout history, cutting off media access to a country is normally, Mike, a prelude to uh, a military confrontation yes. or a prelude to war because then you don't have the other side uh, reporting from, from inside the other territory. So when you have this reciprocal canceling out, for instance, between China uh, and Great Britain, and if they do the same with Russia, and Russia will reciprocate in kind, of course, and maybe uh, deny the BBC uh, access uh, in its offices and so forth. Uh, certainly with Press TV, they've done the same. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, well, it, it's, it means that we're going to be balkanized, uh, more balkanized. This is the, they, they are working to balkanize the internet at the moment. They're also working to balkanize broadcast media. They want total information control, yeah, total control total of this narrative. Total conformity of narrative, conformity of information. Uh, and, and this conformity of narrative, if anybody uh, wa wants the, the, the title for it, uh, it's rapid response mechanism. This was agreed at the G7. It was Theresa May's idea. It was agreed at the G7 in 2017. Um, rapid response mechanism, a common narrative across all the G7 countries. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, you know, many people... 
uh, questioning why we've got the same uh, information coming out of all these different countries around the world with respect to COVID. It's because it's already agreed that this common narrative is going to be pursued by heads of state across the world. The Politburo did the exact same thing, Mike, during the Soviet Union. They had a common narrative between all of the Soviet states. Everybody had to be chiming in exactly, exactly on key yes. with the narratives. Nothing, no dissent was tolerated. They, it was a type of a rapid response uh, mechanism. Um, so let's move on to education. Now, we actually need to do a lot more on the, the, the implications of, of the policies that are hitting our children at the moment because uh, educations are being destroyed. You've made the point it's going to take, even if they reverse this insane decision over education at the moment, it's going to take 12 years for that to filter through because the, the children in this 12-year block in our education system at the moment have been damaged irre uh, irrevocably, really. Um, but of course, alongside the state education system are homeschoolers. Um, and so this is education otherwise. Um, and so what what they, how they describe themselves, they say, from a modest start made by a small group of parents in 1977, education otherwise has grown to become a well-respected and vibrant registered charity supporting and advising home education families in England and Wales. Now, why are we mentioning them? Because uh, the Portsmouth uh, Home Education Group, which is part of uh, education otherwise, uh, they are preparing a judicial review uh, on Portsmouth City Council's policies. Uh, and what they're saying is that Port Portsmouth City Council, at the time that we're in the middle of a global pandemic, uh, and at the time where policy is shutting down state education for our children, and they're, I mean, no matter what people say about remote learning, it is they are not getting an education. That is a fact. Um, so uh, education other, uh, otherwise is saying that uh, Portsmouth uh, City Council uh, served school attendance orders for 9% of home educated children from September. Uh, and they also say that the council served legal notices which lead up to school attendance orders to 83% of home, ed home educated children during 2020. Uh, and this looks to me like a council who's saying to themselves, well, these kids are getting better education than, <laughs> than, than the state system. We can't have that. So we're going to attack them. Why are they attacking them? Nonetheless, they are. Uh, and uh, so the Portsmouth Home Education Group uh, is bringing a judicial review. Uh, they have a crowdfunder and it's doing quite well. Very uh, good. They needed to raise £20,000 uh, to get started. Uh, they've increased the effort to £30,000, I believe, uh, at this point. Uh, if you want to find it, uh, look for legal action by Portsmouth Home Educators uh, and uh, uh, search for that on your search engine of choice and you'll find this crowdfunder. Uh, I think it uh, deserves support uh, and uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how they do. I mean, Lawrence Fox uh, from Reclaim uh, Party, he, he, the actor, he made a joke, an offhanded comment on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. He says, I've just, I've just got done teaching my kids for the last X amount of weeks. Who do I invoice, the government or the school? Yeah. Because it, really the parents are doing the job uh, of teaching. Teachers are sending out web links, literally. I've spoken to parents. They're sending out 17, 20 web links and 21 hours of video for a five-year-old. Okay, And the parents have to go through everything, printing out 100 pages uh, from the, the printer at home because they're sending all these documents they need to print out mm -hmm. as well. So this, teachers are just sitting back, firing stuff away, doing the occasional Zoom class, 
okay? Well, some schools are, a lot of schools aren't. So, so the parents are working as teachers, okay? So if, if they want to shut down homeschooling, what is really going on there is they, the parents, if, if, if they move their kids from homeschool to the state school under this regime, Mike, um, they're still going to be uh, teaching their mm -hmm. kids mm -hmm. uh, through this, quote, remote learning. So really, you, instead of working as a homeschooling parent for, for yourself, with your children, you're now working uh, for the state, doing the teacher's job for them, and not getting paid for it. Mm. Okay, so really, they, the state wants the, the parents working for them <laughs> instead of working for themselves. That's really what's going on here. Uh, some people might argue. Uh, indeed. Uh, so, uh, right, look, we're we're over time, Patrick, but we, we'll we'll run through a couple more here. First of all, uh, an interesting debate uh, on talk radio with Mike Graham. Yeah, no, this is one of the first times that we've seen a, a, a mainstream debate. These are two columnists from the Mail on Sunday here, Peter Hitchens uh, on, uh, on the left-hand side and on the right-hand side, Dan Hodges. And that's the moderator in the middle, Mike Graham. And so the great lockdown debate. It was actually very interesting. And, of course, Dan Hodges kept using lockdown denier, lockdown denier to sort of in, insult Peter Hitchens. But some of the points uh, Dan Hodges made, you can see where the establishment talking points are going and that we have a way out with the vaccine and uh, the non the lockdown deniers are going to ruin it uh, and basically you know so it's it's a very interesting debate I encourage people to watch it because uh, by listening to Dan Hodges you'll be able to know what the government and what the establishment's talking points mm. and arguments are because he's really kind of repeating them verbatim uh, so it's a uh, really informative actually I do encourage people to watch it yes Okay, now last week uh, we were talking about the Bank of England's uh, monetary policy report uh, published uh, early February 2021. Uh, and uh, they were saying, the mainstream press is reporting of this, saying second lockdown, not as bad as the first. We haven't done so bad. Uh, if you remember, they were absolutely promoting the idea of being taught from home over Zoom. Uh, but this was their uh, key graphic uh, showing a massive collapse in GDP in 2020. A bounce back, but still well below uh, the peak in, at the beginning of uh, at the end of 2019, uh, and projecting further falls in GDP, and also projecting some pretty massive uh, unemployment. Um, and if you remember, Andrew Bailey uh, had said uh, had said this that their central forecast assumes that COVID-related restrictions and people's health concerns weigh on activity in the near term, but that the vaccination program leads to those is easing. Uh, and he went on to say such that GDP is projected to recover strongly from the second quarter of 2021 towards pre-COVID levels. Uh, well, the Office for National Statistics has uh, uh, reinforced this uh, and they have uh, shown that the uh, economy has fallen by around 10%, but they're saying that it bounced back by 1.2% December. That's brilliant. Uh, after a 2.3% decline in November, uh, they're saying that uh, December GDP is 6.3 below the, the levels seen in February 2020. This compares with 7.4 below 20, uh, sorry, February 2020 levels in November 2020, and so on. So it's all it's all so figures. Still drowning. But still drowning, absolutely. Uh, but uh, don't worry, because business investment at the end of 2020 was more than 10% lower than pre-pandemic levels. So, uh, of course, that means that we're going to bounce back very, very quickly, doesn't it? V-shape recovery. V-shape recovery. How does, how does this work? But still banging the drum, the Bank of England was publishing uh, in the Daily Mail. Uh, this is Andy Haldane. The headline is Britain is ready to fire all cylinders after a year to forget. 
but what was he saying? The rapid rollout of the vaccination program across the UK means a decisive corner has been turned in the battle against COVID. A decisive corner is about to be turned for the economy too, with enormous amounts of pent up financial energy waiting to be released like a coiled spring with 13 million of the most vulnerable people already vaccinated, the risk of death or hospitalization in the UK has already probably halved. I'm not sure what qualifies him to make that statement, but anyway, uh, by the end of March, based on current pace of vaccine rollout and the government data on vulnerable groups, this risk will have been reduced by as much as three quarters. And by the end of the second quarter, it'll be even smaller. As health concerns fall and restrictions lift, people are expected to return to spending and socializing, how quickly and how much. Uh, we have no similar historical experience uh, on which to base this precise forecast, but two reasons lead me to expect a turn in sentiment, spending and the economy to be rapid, uh, a light switch being flicked rather than a dimmer switch being turned. So they're still banging on about this massive bounce back, this dead cat bounce that's going to happen. First, household psychology, he says, because after being bottled up for a year, people are desperate to get their lives, including their social lives, back. And second, household finances, uh, because because of the lockdown, we haven't been able to spend, uh, you know, forced restrictions on spending. By the end of last year, this suggests a nest egg had probably reached one hundred and twenty five billion pounds. And that nest egg is just going to be splurged into the economy. Unleashed. Unleashed. It's fantastic. Oh, yes. What what what? How could it possibly go wrong? I can't wait for Boris's speech, Mike, during VE Day, Victor, Victory Day. We're, we're nearing the finish line, but we must cross it together, and we want to do it together. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yes, but in the meantime, uh, you know, some parts of the world, it's summer, and it's summer in Australia, uh, but apparently it doesn't matter that it's summer. Uh, they have to lock down again, third Ooh. time. So this is the Victorian government website. So one, uh, they found one case, right? 13 cases. Oh, thir 13. 13 in the whole state of Victoria. Yes, and that means that a circuit breaker action from 11.55 on the 12th of February. Yes. Uh, and that means, uh, of course, that people can't celebrate Chinese New Year. They can't go to the Australian Open and they can't celebrate St. Valentine's Day. So, so And everyone uh, citing this, Mike, is the proof that lockdown works. Uh, Australia and New Zealand, that zero COVID policy is effective, that it works. Everybody's citing uh, the Antipodean success story there. Yes. Uh, but uh, does it? Uh, what are the, the levels of testing, Mike? I think the levels of testing have gone way down mm. uh, in Australia. So, of course, they're not producing the same amount of, quote, false positives of cases, yes, yes or, quote, infections. But, yes. Uh, well, look, we started the program, uh, Patrick, with uh, cold weather. Uh, and so let's end the program with cold weather. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a, well, you can't see the picture, but you can see the background, a beautiful picture of, uh, of the lovely Dartmoor there, uh, snow on the ground down in Devon. But oh, what happened here? Two women were caught fornicating in a car uh, on Dartmoor at 2 a.m. in minus three Celsius temperatures in breach of COVID rules. They were clamped down by uh, law enforcement and 17 lockdown flouters at Knightsbridge House, this is in Devon, uh, were fined uh, a total of 13,000 uh, pounds. So uh, a, a lot of naughtiness uh, going on on the darts there, Mike. That's shocking. In, in Devon, but... Uh, but they were, they're clearly pretty brave to be out in, in, uh, in the freezing cold temperatures. At 2 a.m., th minus, minus 3 Celsius, that's... Uh, commitment to the relationship, don't yes. you think? Uh, maybe they'll be 
Yes. Anyway, we shall leave it there, shall we? Yeah. I think I think we should. Uh, okay. Thank you very much for joining us today, Patrick. Thank you for joining us. We hope everybody has a great weekend. Uh, we'll be back as usual 1 p.m. on Monday, uh, and we'll see you then. Bye bye.